Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Gary Chevalier. All right, good morning, everyone. Woohoo! All right, everyone made it in through the crazy intersection today, and you have smiles on your faces. That's awesome. Hey, we are finishing up the book of James, Lessons from My Big Brother Jesus, today. It's the fifth week, and we're in chapter five. But before we continue, can I just say what a joy personally it's been to get to walk through this book together with all of you. And listen, y'all have been so kind with um, comments in the lobby and emails and social media. I honestly have really felt very loved and very encouraged by you. But more than anything, I just want to say thank you for laughing at my jokes. Like, no one in my house thinks I'm funny, except for my oldest daughter who's off at college all the time. And so, like, really, being able to crack a joke and have people laugh at it, it's so refreshing. Because usually I get... Anyway, (laughs) so as I've said before many times, I love the book of James. He is just so, this is what it is. He's no holds barred. He's up in your grill, telling you how it is, totally real all the time. This is Christianity 101 at its best. It doesn't require a Bible degree to understand it. He doesn't leave a lot up for interpretation to imagination. He's just like, this is real. It is what it is. And let's go with it. So I love James. And, and as many times as I've read it, honestly, I haven't ever really read it through the lens of his big brother was Jesus and what he learned from his big brother on the way. Because I'm here to tell you, your family makes a difference in who you are. Like my wife and I are both certified personality trainers. We have traveled all over the United States and even into parts of Canada teaching about the personalities and teaching about how there's your nature that you were created and then there's your nurture, the environment that you grew up in and talking about the tension between the two. And I'm here to tell you from our experience and it's confirmed by science that God made you who you are But your family and your environment shapes who you become. It's so important in who you are and your family growing up. And James got to grow up with Jesus as a big brother. And again, I probably don't think he appreciated it all the time that his big brother was always the good son. His big brother was the one who never did anything wrong. He probably didn't realize all that that was Um, when it was going on, but it totally shaped him as a man. It totally helped shape him as the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and it totally shaped him as he wrote his letter to the people in the area, which we now call the book of James. So as we look at James chapter 5, we're going to finish up with the very last thought that he closes the book with. So it is the last two verses of the last chapter. It's literally one sentence. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 goes like this. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So why do you imagine James concluded his book that way? I think that in order to really understand that, we need to look at his older brother, Jesus, 
and who Jesus was and what Jesus was about, because I think our answer is found there. So if we look in the book of Luke, chapter 15, we find out some, Jesus telling some stories about some things that were lost. There's a story of a sheep that was lost and the shepherd that went to go find the sheep. There's a story of a son who was lost, who spurned his father and left to go away, but his father anxiously awaited his return and watched for him expectantly. And then there's also a story about a woman who had lost what equals about a day's wages. It's Luke chapter 15, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. Oh, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And later on in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus speaking again, he's referring to himself and says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So don't miss what is being said here. Jesus, at his very core, is a rescuer. Jesus came to seek out and find what had been lost. That's who he was. That's why he came. He came to rescue. So, knowing that about Jesus, knowing that he is a rescuer, let's look at James chapter 5, 19 through 20 one more time. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Well, that sounds like Jesus. And that's what James is saying. James is saying, be a rescuer. Be like my big brother Jesus. Do what he did. Because being a Christ follower, we want to model ourselves like Christ and follow what he did. Jesus was a rescuer. So if you, if you listen to the message today and you don't internalize what we're talking about, about rescuing others, then it's going to be very difficult to be a Christ follower because so much of who Jesus was is that he was a rescuer, that he came to seek out what had been lost. That, I think, is why James finished his book that way because that's what Jesus was all about. It's the most important part of Jesus' life. So when he concluded, he wanted to make sure that people got that final point, that we need to rescue like Jesus. So how do I do that? How do I rescue like Jesus? Well, the first thing is this. It's number one on your message notes. Grab your pen and fill this in if you like. I need to treat my church family like my real family. I need to treat my church family like my real family. Look at verse 19, my brothers and sisters. If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, now take your pen real quick and let's underline my brother's and sisters. Now, that may look like a customary greeting, and it kind of is, but more importantly, James is using that to teach a lesson that Jesus taught. It was in Mark chapter 3 that Jesus taught it, and I've referred to this chapter a couple times uh, along the way in this series because this is the chapter where we learn that Jesus' family didn't always understand that he was the Messiah. Mark chapter 3 starting in verse 20. Then 
Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Right? So remember, Jesus' family didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah. So when he left the carpentry business that was supporting his family and he spurned that responsibility to go be a traveling preacher, they really thought he had gone crazy. So when they heard he was close by, they really went to show up to get him because he was their family and they thought something was wrong. Okay, with that framework, let's look at the next set of verses, starting in verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. <laughs> okay, let's stop for just a moment, uh, because I don't want you guys to miss this. Let's, let's think through this. Put yourself in that room, all right? So Jesus and his disciples had crowded into this house, and a crowd of people had gathered in, and it was full. As full as a house can be, that's how full this house was. Now remember, Jesus was teaching about God and about Scripture. In Jewish society, the temple was the focal point for all teaching about Scripture. The only people that taught about Scripture were like the priests and the Pharisees and people of that light. So Jesus was none of those, and he was not at the temple. So all of the people gathered in this room listening to Jesus, this was kind of risky for them in Jewish society. It was kind of like a clandestine gathering almost because Jesus was not one of the Pharisees or priests, but he was teaching about God. So everyone's there, but nerves are going to be a little on edge because it's kind of outside of the box that they're there. And someone comes in, looks at Jesus and says, your mother and brothers are here. And Jesus goes, who are my mothers and brothers? So can you imagine the awkward silence in the room at that moment when this guy who's just been teaching all of a sudden doesn't even know who his mama is? Be like, wait, what? What? What did he just say? Dang it, he is crazy. Jethro, why'd you bring me here to get me messed up with this crackpot? I can't believe it. So you know they're freaking out in this moment because this guy who's supposed to be teaching them is now acting crazy. And his family done showed up because they thought he was crazy. But... Jesus lets them off the hook in verse 34, and everyone breathes a sigh of relief. Verse 34, then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Whew. Look at the people around you, to your left, to your right, in front of you, behind you. Jesus said, these are your family. These are your mother, your sisters, and your brothers. Anyone who does God's will, who seeks to follow the Lord, they are like your real family. They are really like your brothers and your sisters and your mothers. And that's the first thing we've got to remember if we are going to seek to rescue like Jesus, to be like Jesus, is to remember that the people in this room who are seeking to do God's will, they are our family. The people who served you communion and prayed with you, they're your family. Your small group, that's your family. Your serving team, that's your family. The people you talk to in the lobby, that's your family. 
Even the guy who took the parking spot in your favorite row. He may be like your crazy uncle that only comes to Thanksgiving and Christmas, but he's your family too. God tells us we're all family together. We need to treat each other as such. So let me ask you a hypothetical question. If your family member started to do something that was bad for them, that was unhealthy for them, that was destructive to them, would you not care for them and want to intervene? And for some of you, that question's not so hypothetical, is it? But wouldn't you want to rescue them? Wouldn't you want to point out to them what's going on? My younger sister, when she was fresh out of high school, decided to get married to the guy she was dating at the time. And I knew in my heart, 100% without a doubt, that he was not the right man for her. He was not God's best. And so I went to her. And I sat down with her one night, and I, I looked at her, and I said, look, I want you to hear me say, I love you, and I'm going to support you no matter what, but the guy you're about to marry is not God's best for you, and I don't think you should do it, and here's why. And then I laid out for her all the reasons that I believed that he was not God's best. Unfortunately, she decided to marry him anyway. And I was there, in the room, supporting her. Andrea and I sang at their wedding. And I was also there a year later, supporting her when she got a divorce. And it wasn't a, I told you so, if you'd have just listened to me, I mean, that wouldn't be very supportive. It was a, I'm so sorry this happened. I love you so much. We're going to do this together. Why? Because she's my sister. And I love her. And that's how we need to see everyone in this room. Everyone who is a Christ follower, who seeks to do God's will, is your family. And that's how we need to act towards each other. Which leads us to the second point this morning. Number two is I have a responsibility to rescue. I have a responsibility to rescue. Now let's look at verse 19 again. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back. So who is someone? Who's the someone that should bring them back? Because someone sounds suspiciously like they. And we all know that they do a lot of things. They get blamed for a lot of things. But nobody ever really knows who they is, Right? So who is someone? Well, James just told us that we're all family. So someone then becomes you and me. It is your responsibility. It is my responsibility. And I know right now some of you are thinking, you know, I'm just not good at confrontation. I always say the wrong thing. It's really uncomfortable anyway. It's, probably, it's just better if someone else does it. But I got some bad news, because that's not what the Scripture says. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone else should bring that person back, that's not going to work. Someone, it's your responsibility, it's my responsibility. And we know this, because to understand the last verse of, of James, we look at the first verse of James in chapter 1. 
And it says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So James's letter, this book of James is written to everyone who is a Christ follower scattered all across the nations. This applies to everyone. So someone is you, someone is me. It's not a a small group of people's responsibility. It's not one person's responsibility. It is all of our responsibility. Okay, so how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we put that into practice? Well, here's what I believe. I believe that if I notice that someone appears to be wandering away from the truth, and and whether that's through intuition, whether that's through something they said in a conversation, whether I see it on social media or whatever, however I come across the belief that this person is wandering away from the truth, then it is my responsibility to go to that person. God has made me aware because he wants me to seek that person out for whatever reason. Even if you're not good at confrontation, God made you aware because he wants you to intervene with that person and go talk to them. So, okay, how, does, how do we do that? What does that look like? How do I go to someone who appears to be wandering from the truth? Because let's be real, that's a very difficult conversation to have. It's hard to look at someone and say, hey, you know, what I see doesn't seem to be matching up to Scripture. So what does that look like? How do we do that? And to answer that question, I want to turn it back around and ask you. If you started to wander from the truth of following Christ, and I was aware of it, how would you want me to approach you? Should I call all of our friends that we have in common and talk to them? Should I bring it up in small groups? Oh, pray for Gary. He is falling off the wagon again. Should I put it out on social media? Should I just call you directly and yell at you? Tell you what a sinner you are? Well, no, you wouldn't want me to do that at all. You'd want me to call you or text you or get together for coffee, maybe meet for lunch, and just check in and ask, how are things going? How are you doing? Man, it looks, from the outside looking in, it looks like things are kind of rough right now. How, how are you? Those are the things you want me to do. You want me to come and ask and bring questions, not accusations. Ask questions. Come with concern, not condemnation. You want me to see how you were doing, to ask what's going on in your life, to pray with you together, person to person. That's what you would want. That kind of love and that kind of concern, man, that communicates a depth of love. And so, listen, if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm seeing things in your life just from the outside looking in that it seems like something's not okay. Man, now the world is going to tell us we need to be offended at that because people ain't supposed to be up in our business that way. And my business is my business and you shouldn't judge me. That's what you're going to hear from the world. But the world tells you that because the world is not of God. God says, go to those people out of love and kindness and concern and help bring them back. So if someone comes to you, man, that's an honor. That person took a risk. That person stepped outside of their comfort zone to come to you 
out of love and concern to say, man, I see something in your life right now that doesn't look like it's quite right. Can I pray with you about that? Can I come alongside you and walk with you down this path? That love and concern, that's our responsibility. And that leads us to our last point of the morning. Number three, it's your last feeling of the day, is rejoice because there is nothing more Christ-like than rescuing a brother or sister from sin. There is nothing more Christ-like than that because that's who Christ was. Remember, James chapter 5, verse 20 says this. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Well, who does that sound like? Yeah, it sounds like Jesus. It sounds like exactly what the Apostle Paul said about Jesus in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. It says, He was handed over to die because of our sins, and He was raised to life to make us right to God, right with God. That's what James is saying. That's what Paul was saying. Jesus is the Son of God. He came to rescue. He came to earth and lived as a human being. He lived a perfect life without sin. He died on a cross to bear the burden of our sin and to offer us forgiveness and a right standing with God so that we can live eternally with God one day. That's what Jesus came for. He came to rescue us from death. Some of you in this room right now have not chosen to follow Christ. And listen, I want to encourage you. Let today be that day. At the bottom of your message notes, on the back, there is a sample prayer that you can pray. And there's nothing magical about the words. It's all just leads you in an attitude of your heart that if you know that you have messed up, and you want forgiveness from Jesus, and you will commit to follow the rest of your life, to do your best to be more like Jesus, then Scripture tells us you become a Christ follower in that moment when you admit that, and you choose to believe it, and you walk in that truth. And you know what? That means you become a part of this family. When you choose to follow Christ, you are part of the family, and you become my brother and my sister. And I have a responsibility to you, and you have a responsibility to me. And if you have not made that choice, I encourage you to take a moment right now and do that. So finally, James chapter 5 and verse 20 says, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, Jesus is the only one who provides forgiveness for sin. Jesus is the only one who saves us from a true death like that. So when James says, we'll save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins, he is not saying that we are the ones who actually save them. That salvation was taken care of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ. What I believe he's saying, it refers back to something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus referring to uh, the path he says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And another way to say that is broad is the road that leads to death. Death being not the path of life, of following Jesus, but the path of death being the path that leads you solidly away from Jesus Christ. 
And it's not necessarily a physical death, though sometimes that path does lead to a physical death. But it's a life that is riddled with sin. It's a life that is not focused on Jesus Christ at all. It's a life that leads you towards death, towards destruction. Can you think of someone right now, someone you know, who used to be someone who followed Christ? who used to be someone, maybe they were here at church all the time, maybe they were on your serving team, and they don't serve anymore. Maybe they were in your small group, and they just stopped coming. Maybe, maybe you see them every week when you would pick up your kid after worship, and then it's been a while, and you haven't seen them in a while, and gradually, they've just gone by the wayside. You don't know where they are anymore. Well... I, uh, I believe in a church our size, it's easy to just write that off and say, well, they probably had a job transfer. I bet they moved to Oklahoma. Or, you know, they probably just quit coming to the 1130 service. They like to go to lunch a little sooner, so I bet they come to the early service now. That's why I don't see them. And that's completely possible, but more likely is that they've just gradually taken a step towards the path that leads to destruction. And then another step towards that path. And then another step. And all of a sudden, they're no longer directed towards the path of life. And they're on the path that leads to destruction. And they just, a little, a little bit, a little bit, and a little bit. And they're going this way. All of a sudden, you, you make a concession here, you make a concession there, and then... You don't go to church anymore. They haven't been to small group in a while. You don't remember the last time you even saw your Bible, much less read it. Uh, who knows when the last time that you actually served someone in Jesus' name is, and you find yourself overtaken by bad habits and bad decision, and sin just piles on and piles on and piles on. And while you used to be walking the path that leads to life, all of a sudden now you were solidly leading down the path that leads to death. And you have no idea how you got there. And you're not even sure that there's a path to get back. That's what happens. And the evil one, he's so masterful at doing that. He is so good at taking people who are solidly following Christ and just little by little, increment by increment, redirecting their path from the path of life that leads to Jesus Christ and the path that leads to death. And that is why it is so important for us. That's why James finished his book by saying, be a rescuer. When you see someone wandering for the tr from the truth, go get them. Go show them the way back to the path. Because when people get off the path, they have such a hard time finding it back by themselves. I mean, what would, what would our small group look like if people treated each other that way? What would your serving team look like if people treated each other that way? What would our church look like if people treated each other that way? And if they saw someone who looked like they were wandering from the truth, what would that look like? Because it's just incremental steps. I mean, sin is like drug addiction. And if my daughters were in the room right now, they would laugh because every lecture I give apparently ends up 
with drug addiction and them being addicted to drugs living under a bridge. And I, I really wish I could tell you it's not true, but it does. It is. Uh, like, hey, don't litter. Because when you litter, you're not respecting the environment. And when you stop respecting the environment, you stop respecting yourself. And when you stop respecting yourself, you start doing drugs. And when you start doing drugs, you end up on a drug addict under the bridge. Every lecture leads this way to drugs. I know, but it just happens. And so they know it like clockwork now. When I start, when I start off on a lecture, they're like, we know, Dad, we'll be a drug addict under the bridge. <laughs> but it, as goofy as that is, it's still true, right? Like, Sin is that way. It's like you're walking down the path of life and then you take a little step this way and you're like, oh, that was kind of fun. Nice for a change. Nothing bad happened. Okay, maybe I'll do a little more. And a little more. And it grows and grows just like a drug addiction does and you progress to stronger, harder drugs and it affects your life more and more. And the next thing you know, you're addicted Homeless under a bridge. Sin is that way. And it happens to people gradually, incrementally, which is why it is so important that we rescue those around us. And in genuine love and kindness and concern, if we see someone who seems to be starting to wander from the truth, that we go to that person and we try to point them back to the path. That's why it's so important. Our church... If we would treat each other like family, think of how our church would be. Like, you would have to try really, really hard to live outside of God's will because people would be coming to you all the time in loving kindness and drawing you back to the path. What a great place to be that would be. That is the church I want to be a part of. And honestly, that's the church that the community would want to be a part of because they would see a place that has unconditional love and unconditional acceptance, yet loves each other enough to have a difficult conversation to bring them back to the path of truth and avoid the path that leads to death. Because Jesus came to have victory over death. He died on the cross so that we would have victory over sin and death. That's the life he came for to give us. That's the life he wants for us. That's the life I want for us. That's the life I want for our church and for each one of you and me. What an amazing fellowship of believers that would be if we all would have the love and the kindness and the concern for those around us, for our family, and treat them that way like Jesus did. Will you bow your heads? Let me pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you for James. Uh, God, for the book that he wrote for us. Lord, for growing up in a family with Jesus and Mary and Joseph as his parents. God, I just I thank you that you used him in such an amazing way, uh, way back then, God, and that his, his life continues to affect us today. Father, for those in this room right now, God, you have brought someone to their mind who has wandered away from the path of truth. Father, I pray that you will put plans into place for them to reach out to that person, to show them your love, 
show them your concern and your care. God, if there are people in this room right now who are on the brink of wandering away from the path of truth, God, I pray that you will use us together as family members to show love to them, to speak truth and to speak kindness and to walk with them back onto the path of truth. Lord, I pray you will bind the evil one from all conversations. Uh, Lord, so that a genuine concern will be heard. Father, and that we will be open when people come to us and that we will have the boldness and the love to go to others. God, may we become that fellowship that rescues each other along the way and consistently, continually points people to Jesus Christ. Will you do that, God? We ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.